yes uh, uh namaste alok bhai these are the students of uh, second mbbs uh, first term okay they have just uh, joined the uh, their clinical posting okay they are uh, very enthusiastic and uh, very uh, inspired sort of a lot i find them good energy and uh, interest in them very and, good uh, i thought if you could uh, kindly address them uh, basically they are learning the basic skills in clinical medicine all right baby steps we can say all right so whatever has to be ingrained uh, in that hmm. that you would like you to please address and bless them okay sure sure it's a joy and a privilege and um, i can say that having visited your place uh, it's really uh, you know a very pioneering institute i keep telling all my friends so they are very lucky and fortunate to be in an institute where um, you know something so unique is happening at least whatever i have seen is something very unique a, a, a new way of approaching health and most importantly including all the other dimensions which um, you know um, have been are being brought out i think that is what is missing in medical um, education that's my impression um so first of all good morning to everyone and um, everyone is um, i'm sure uh, interested and very enthusiastic learner and they would gain a lot uh, with their experience at your place at uh, karamsad medical college uh just to begin with i thought uh, you know there are several ways of uh, hello ha hello ha yes ha you can hear me right right please sir yeah yes. yeah so you know um as you know i studied in afmc pune and uh, uh, after we get a degree we all think you know we are on top of the world and we think you know so much we have learned and we can now go out and uh, uh, start a practice but you know one of my first discoveries was which i often use the word is a great discovery and i am sure many clinicians discover it uh, during my internship uh, you know we were having night duty and uh, i was uh, sleeping and suddenly you know there was a knock and patient and usual thing we saw the patient i prescribed the medicines and uh, went back and then there was a knock again so yes i thought a new patient but it was the same person and he asked me that uh, look you know you have told me about the medicines but how do i take it i said how do i take it means you um, you take it with um, he asked after food before food so i gave him the instructions so after a while he again knocked and he said shall i take it with water or with milk so again i told him that it's okay you can take it with water no problem and again as i was preparing to sleep after a while he comes back again and asks me well with warm water or with normal water you know that day i discovered something that um, so much uh, you know we have learned so many things have been taught to us but there is one quality among many others which uh, have not been taught still you know what we are not taught traditionally in the medical colleges is one uh, the difference between information knowledge and wisdom so you know we have host of information which is given but many times we get so lost in that information 
that we are unable to really distill the sap out of it. You know, lots of details, lots of details, you know, and, and all the time our left brain is uh, actively trying to sort out and sift it. But there is something called as a gestalt. You know, knowledge is like a gestalt or the essence. And that we need to also understand. And that's a capacity which has to be developed. I don't think it can be developed only in the medical school. It's something, you know, it's like a capacity we develop in dealing with life. And if you look at life, um, you know, in its totality, let's take a simple example, you know. Uh, very often when we meet and greet each other, we ask this question, so how was your day? Now, you know, we don't describe that well, you know, in the morning, this what happened to me, in the afternoon, this what happened to me, I had a bad tummy, I had a good lunch, you know, that's not how we describe we give a gestalt, well, I had a fine day or it was a bad day. Now, when we say these words, there is a totality of expression which contains within itself a host of information crystallized, distilled and it conveys to the, you know, to the receiver what we really need. Let's say I give a whole um, detailed information that morning this happened, afternoon this happened, evening this happened. What does the listener make out of this information maybe he'll be confused that what should he do next but when i say that i had a bad day then i'm conveying something like a gestalt to the listener and he has a way to uh, get back to me now you know he understands the totality and i think it's important that when we deal with patient this is what is missing now as i was mentioning about this patient it's not about the pill being given at what time or you know when to take it how to take it but here was a person who has probably was not heard properly this is at least what i learned from uh, this interaction that i should have been more patient may have given him more hearing why was he knocking at my door again and again it was not because you know uh, how to take the pill i'm sure he could have got it got this information from uh, other sources and that was not the issue but the gestal that came to me was that I have not given him enough attention. Maybe because it was night, one of my early experiences. And so after that, I learned to listen to patients, even information which may appear to me irrelevant, but may be quite relevant from the patient's perspective. So I think this is something we have to develop in life. You know, from morning to night, we have so many experiences, whether with, you know, the the path we are taking to reach our place, the trees, the plants, the animals, the human beings with whom we are interacting. Uh, we are so lost in ourselves that we just carry bits of information and we don't know what to do with it. So I suppose this difference between information and knowledge and wisdom, this ability is something which we need to develop. Now, you know, the other thing which, uh, this is of course one part of it, that knowledge and most often we think that, you know, when we go to medical school, it's all about knowledge, knowledge, knowledge uh, or information and then we have a degree and we, we become uh, doctors who can heal others, whose health is in our hands. But, you know, there is a very interesting um, sukta in the Rig Veda, uh, which I find very helpful in not only medicine, but in every field that we deal with, whether as a teacher, as a doctor, as a human being on planet Earth. Uh, and that uh, Sukta is called the Purush Sukta. So it's in the Rig Veda. And it describes the Purusha, the cosmic being, as a totality. So, you know, 
it's a wonderful sukta and you know i am resisting the temptation to uh, speak about it but maybe you know those interested can go back and refer to google search the purush sukta in rigveda now the amazing part of this sukta is that it reveals to us the interconnectedness of life of creation of human beings you know for example it says that a human being has four basic uh, layers or levels of existence there is knowledge there is power there is the sense of collectivity the interconnectedness with the entire creation there is service and at the core of all this is love and i feel when we engage in our profession if in fact for that matter in anything in life it may be relationship it may be with with a flower that we are you know admiring uh, we don't engage with the fullness of our being and i think over a period of time the other parts which are not not engaging with life with our job with wherever we are or whatever we do they begin to get stifled and they come out in strange ways like you know medicine is a profession which should actually end up giving us joy but i have seen people getting very frustrated or they you know just become very mechanical and routine and that's because the other parts are not engaging now i'll give you one example a real example of somebody who had visited a zoo so in the zoo there were two panthers and uh, one of the panther was a little shy and the other was a little more you know aggressive and this aggressive one had come out and everybody was seeing the panther and go away now uh, there was a person there who actually saw the other panther also and that panther was a very shy and like trying to hide and this person began to give messages to this other panther that look you know you are also beautiful why don't you come out why are you shy why are you afraid and slowly this panther began to emerge out and now this is engaging with the whole being otherwise normally it's my eye and i have seen the panther and you know i have appreciated it as a very selfish thing oh that's what it looks like but i have never really engaged with the panther i have not uh, told the panther that look you know you look good we don't say this even to human beings you know just a small little communication and this totality so i always feel that you know we are given knowledge which is wonderful we need knowledge we need technical knowledge we need uh, we, we should be equipped with the latest happenings though what that latest is we can also discuss that uh, in a moment but what we are not taught is that this knowledge should be translated into service so in this purushukta the great cosmic being it is said that his head is knowledge and his feet are service now you know it's a wonderful description that knowledge is like i see something with my eyes but feet why feet because if i have to reach what i see i must walk with my two feet and it's a difficult journey it's easy to see and admire i can admire a mount everest and get all the details from the book but if i have to walk to the mount everest it's a painstaking journey it needs to equip me with a number of things endurance perseveration determination patience uh, and so on and so forth so when this knowledge that we receive as a medical graduate if we have to translate it into its application it's not enough to simply know the instrument and the processes and you know the laboratory and the radiology etc but we must also know what it means to serve a community what it means to serve a people uh, how can i serve a patient how can i serve a client 
and that's a very difficult task because it's not enough just to prescribe a pill patience perseverance you know uh, host of things uh, sometimes doctors develop towards their patients and this sense of service if this can come into it will make our practice a lot more engaging and to the client a lot more satisfying now people often say well where is the time actually it's not a problem of time in fact it will cut down time and i'll explain how now you know uh, sometimes you'll see that in house children are constantly drawing attention of their parents they'll do this they'll do that and uh, for a few minutes the father engages and then he is back with the newspaper or the television and the child continues uh, and at the end of it there is a outburst either from the child side or the parent side so you have spent a lot of time but actually you have spent you have not really spent time and ladies in house often know it so they'll say yeah yeah you are there all the day home but what do you do you are reading the newspaper or you are glued to the television so there is something called as quality attendance on a patient and another thing is a quantitative attendance and i think this what is really missing is this qualitative attendance so when we increase the quality the same thing maybe you know instead of seeing a patient for 10 minutes we give less time maybe 7 minutes or 8 minutes but when we have in our heart the spirit of service it can include a small gesture like when a patient is struggling to get up from the seat i just extend my hand or when a patient is you know stick has fallen down we just pick up the stick and hand over to the patient small little gestures and the patient feel really satisfied and we also feel satisfied because we have engaged another part of our nature you know it's it's a sad thing that in all our education we are taught everything job career money success we are not taught what it means to serve and suddenly in medical school we have you know community service so what do we do i mean i'm sure it's still there of course 35 years back down the line so you know we used to be sent to a uh, one of the slums jogi jopri and we go there and we come back gathering some information that's not community service we don't really try to understand what it means to live in a certain area in a certain locality in a certain way of life so this is the second part we must engage with in service now the other part what is in between in this purusha between the head and the uh, feet feet is service and head is knowledge now there is the chest and the arms they represent power so again it's one thing to have knowledge but if we don't have the power now what this power means is several things one is very often we see and it's a sad sight our medical graduates our doctors sometimes they get so exhausted they get so tired and you know when a patient comes to say the telling us that look you know i am fatigued the doctor is almost on the verge of saying well i am also fatigued <laughs> and you know he is relying on his cup of coffee or uh, unfortunately habits like cigarettes to relieve his fatigue or he gets up and you know takes a break well there is a way to augment our energy and our power without really relying on these things because it's a tough calling there's no doubt about it and i'm sure everybody who takes this uh, profession knows it's a tough calling so at one level we need to augment our capacity of the power which with which we can serve 
a simple act like you know when we are sitting and we are feeling very tired and exhausted a simple act like just stretching out gently and it can be done in any which way stretching up stretching sideways just drawing a deep breath i have seen it's you know so refreshing perhaps that's why we have a word called sigh you know when somebody is in distress what does the person do the person sighs like ah uh, now this sigh is very interesting you know uh, this sigh is much more than merely expressive this sigh is also a way to relieve myself this sigh is also ventilating myself this sigh is also drawing a fresh air within me and i think these simple things which uh, you know we as students can learn and pick up how to augment our power because sometimes we have to be engaged in long surgeries long uh, you know number of patients and if we don't know this simple thing uh, how to draw energy from all around us how to draw energy from above um, how to uh, so, you know we rely only on food so if we can learn this not only we augment our own power we can tell our patients number of them who come simply because you know they are fatigued now we are looking for biological causes all right yes there are causes there are diseases but we can teach them very simple things provided we have you know practice them in our own life but i think power has another dimension in healing and it is the power to heal now very often when we speak about power to heal uh, people take it that you know power to heal means what some pranic healing some reiki some other kind of uh, you know what unfortunately is called as mambo jumbo well i don't mean that that's a specialized area and we need not talk about it but something which is readily available and often i have asked my student that you know let's say you have a case of snake bite so what is the first aid you will give so the standard thing is that you know i'll observe it tie it tourniquet and you know etc etc but the first aid which used to be mentioned in standard textbook is reassurance now how do i reassure a patient by word by speech and speech itself carries its own healing energy we don't realize it actually it's very sad that you know human beings as human beings one of the capacities that is given to us which is not found in animals is speech animals have sounds and it's so amazing that animals use the sound so effectively look at a dog when it has to convey affection through barking it does it powerfully effectively and when it has to convey annoyance or even threat perception it does it just by modulating its barking but we as human beings have a much more developed sound apparatus we can speak but we don't know how to modulate speech how to speak how to use words how to weave them and thereby start the healing process now you know there are very interesting studies about it you know this power to heal i am speaking about and nowadays as i was speaking about frontiers of technology there is something called as mirror neurons now what do these mirror neurons do now whatever we uh, we have received like signals or information from outside they keep on repeating it and we know it that how the mind keeps on re- repeating an information it has received particularly if it's uh, you know uh, it's not a good information like somebody has seen a snake and quite for quite some time we will see that you know that image keeps flashing before our eyes it evokes the same reaction as when we first saw the snake so it's uh, important to capitalize on this uh, capacity you know of mirror neurons so there was a study and people found that when relatives uh, at least those with a you know very positive attitude 
there are always people who fill us with fear. But people with a very positive outlook, when they visit a patient, the actual recovery rate is much higher. So why it happens is that even if they visit for five minutes and, you know, when they just see and smile and say, don't worry, you know, pray to God, everything will be fine. Now, those mirror neurons keep on relaying this information. And this information becomes a very powerful tool to actually start uh, creating in the body's physiology mechanisms. You know, mechanisms already exist, but setting them into motion, which will help the healing process. So this kind of an interchange that we have with life, you know, this, this power of healing with words. Now, of course, there are many areas, healing with music, healing with mantras, healing with plants, even healing with pets. I mean, after all the drugs they have tried for uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, one of the things that helps is keeping a pet. Now, we don't know. It may, it may be helpful in many other diseases. <laughs> we have only explored the other side. And, you know, because uh, there is an interchange, you know, that, that's what brings us to the third level or rather the fourth level that this power, why, why don't we have it? Why, why does it get stifled? Because we are all the time turning back upon ourselves. Whereas the third level of the Purusha, which is the uh, thighs and the abdomen, it is the area from where he enters into a cosmic interchange. There is an interconnectedness of life. And I think we have forgotten that. And that's why, you know, very often when I see quarrels between different systems, it is so meaningless. One system follows one line. See, Ayurveda has discovered the interconnectedness between herbs and seasons and the human beings. Astrology has discovered interconnectedness between cosmic movements and the human being. Homeopathy has discovered interconnectedness between, you know, certain molecules which are there in, uh, you know, those um, little pills and the human being. Even his personality and the way it interacts with the uh, with those molecules. So there is an interconnectedness of life. And I am sure these are all still partial ways. It's not that this pathy or that pathy is the ultimate answer. That will be incorrect. But if we rediscover this interconnectedness with life, with creation, you know, old time when people had TV, they were told, you know, go and take a change, change of season, change of place. Now, this interconnectedness is so true. You know, sometimes when we are, let's say, in a hospital atmosphere, uh, of course, your place is wonderful. I must say, uh, whatever I have visited, I have been very impressed. But many places, I, I, I mean, unfortunately, even Jipmer here, the place is so crowded. The new building is still fine. But the old building, you know, the way the vibrations are and the way the consciousness is, there, somebody would fall ill. Now, we don't realize that it's the environment is important. So, there is an interconnectedness uh, with life. There is an interconnectedness with everything around, uh, with the thoughts that are there in the doctor, with the thoughts and feelings and, of course, words, which are taking place in the minds of the nursing staff, uh, in the relatives, the visitors. So, all that is important. So this dimension, if it is missing in the healing process, we are not engaging. So, you know, when a healer or the even the nursing staff, but they, you know, it's primary the task of the physician to bring in, bring these things into notice. Small things like what is there in the visual range of the patient? 
what does he actually see when he wakes up in the morning this is an observation which i uh, learnt about myself you know when i wake up in the morning i don't want to see a blank wall and suddenly not a wall with some nails on that and with some plaster which is taken out i want to see something beautiful but well we don't even bother when patients turn to this side when patients are sitting when the trolley is kept with the food is it with a sense of beauty or is it you know a simple thing like a flower vase i'm not saying that always we need to keep it by the side of the patient it may not be even good but at least just a little flower vase in in the nursing station it adds to the beauty it it uh, it's it's literally like the flower is also giving out its own healing uh, vibrations its own healing energy to a patient and it will be so much beneficial so i think it's important to understand that these are all and there are many ways of interchanging with human beings uh, take another example um, you know very often there is a tendency fortunately this disease has not come in india uh, so far but um, if you go to the west they don't see you they i mean at least i am aware of some some places you go for investigation then they see all the investigations and then they if necessary see the client for 5 minutes now you know this is there is no interchange now what really is interchange when you look at a patient the interchange starts so as a young intern i was taught that observe a patient carefully as the patient walks into you your chamber but what i was not taught it's very true you know you, we can get a lot of information but what i was not taught is that he is also looking at you so your look the healing process starts there when we look at a patient and give a small little smile he feels welcome he feels that this is a place where you know i can be cured he feels here here may be a doctor who will in all likelihood understand me so i think this interchange look smile touching you know touches the first sense that awakens in a child and the last sense which departs so very often when people are in coma we talk so casually as if they you know they are already dead now if we treat comatose people like dead people simply because they cannot receive uh, through the other senses then you know it betrays uh, it speaks poorly of what we have learned now when we know that touch is still active the patient may not be able to register anything with the eyes may or may not be hearing though you know there are studies that they may they are hearing at least the brain areas get activated they obviously are not able to taste anything maybe their sense of smell may not be working but certainly they still can experience touch at some level the least we can do is when we pass by a patient who is in distress or even in coma just to touch the hands soothingly or the head with sense of care and we'll see the wonders i mean this what i've been practicing and trying to communicate to people that use all the senses engage with life with all the senses you know i think partly it's because we have been so much about asceticism shut the senses close the senses withdraw from the senses but senses are also tools not just of information but of transmission of energy you know senses i mean dancers know very well how to use their eyes and mudras to communicate a whole world so why not in medicine so if we know how to communicate with touch with look with smile 
even with the with the smell it's a whole science in itself people use aromatherapy but we as doctors we don't care you know how we smell and you know <laughs> so at least you know we can uh, uh, you know put some nice uh, not these room sprays which are quite toxic often uh, but something like a nice little aroma in the room very gentle uh, i'm not saying that light is strong agarbatti or something but there are a lot of gentle aromas and we don't know you know patient all days you know receiving that and something very pleasant creating in his mind a pleasant sensation disengages him partially from the illness and how much help it can be so this, this is called engaging with the whole of being not just with knowledge but also with other powers which can be used to engage with the patient and help in the healing process not just with knowledge and power but also with the interconnectedness of whole creation it's an interchange we are not just giving medicines we are also giving a smile we are not just giving a prescription but also giving a healing look we are not just you know um, giving a diagnostic test but also a caring touch so all these things and above all the spirit of service now often people say okay fine we'll do all this but what do we get you say of course a very utilitarian disease uh, again i must say fortunately instinctively we as indians most of us uh, in spite of all the uh, corrupt thinking going around we still carry that sense of humaneness so we don't completely succumb to utilitarianism now utilitarianism is about okay i am going to give this much what am i going to get now you know people often see what they are going to get in terms of success in terms of name fame money but ultimately through all this we are trying to get the joy of life and i can say this for sure that whether with a little plant whether with a child whether with patients whether with your uh, you know your your friend uh, whether with your parents whether with animals if you engage with all your being you experience joy you know it's given it's something which we get instantly pay packet is a uh, additional thing money is something which will carry in addition because joy is instantaneous and this joy nourishes us and this joy is infectious you know we can this joy if we are carrying within our heart it will start spreading radiating you know there are people shopkeepers who don't do well and they have the same material as another one now i'll ask a very simple question you know there are two shops identical everything everything is same next to each other but the difference is that the main person at the reception or the counter in one of the shop is very uh, grousy grumpy looks depressed agitated and in another shop the person is cheerful smiling where will we go we'll go to the shop with where the person at the reception is cheerful and smiling everything is same so it's not about the you know all of us go through the same medical schooling we have the same information we know the same technology the same test everything i mean marks difference a little bit here there apart but what makes the difference between a good doctor and a bad doctor or let me put it more positively between a good doctor and a great doctor so a good doctor is a technocrat he knows information but a great doctor he engages he makes the patient feel welcome he does all things with a sense of joy he is happy doing what he is doing and therefore the reward is instantaneous 
In fact, we don't even have to probably ask money from a patient. The, because because joy is something which which cannot be really valued or you cannot put a price tag on it and then lastly we come to the core of everything i think without which whatever we are doing doesn't make sense at least this how i have understood uh, and that is our very core and that core is love you know i have used this word that we are suffering from a civilizational disease and what is this disease it is a lack of love we are not taught about it obviously it cannot be taught and by the time we are 15 16 uh, we we don't know what love is and we think we have fallen in love but whereas you know love is million miles away from us we get hurt we are happy momentarily followed by much pain and suffering but none of this is an essence of love love is to step out of my boundaries because of the care and concern for the other love is to do something unselfishly love is to come out of the state of the ego on which we are constantly falling back so i think it's we have forgotten how to love to love anything even a part of a body you know when i discovered it when i had joint pains and osteoarthritis so i started telling my joint that look you know i want you to serve um, help me out i want you to heal you know it just acknowledgement and this ability to love to extend out to reach out to give oneself is not something we learn only with a patient doctor interaction love is the very essence of life which holds everything together and perhaps if we can learn to love we will do wonders because ultimately love is the most miraculous power and we don't use it probably that's why we have so many medicines and diseases multiplying you know there is a very beautiful book i would suggest you know people should read it uh, rather every young medical graduate should read it it's by dr bernie siegel and the book is love miracle and medicine he is an oncologist and you know through his vast experience he has written things and how even when we we have cancerous tissues in the body how we can give a message the studies so we can actually when we are having all kinds of illnesses if somebody can give us that energy of love it's it energy of love is far beyond even positive energy you know we often use this word it's something which has a direct power of transforming things it can possibly i mean i mean i don't have studies to prove it but maybe one day we'll find discover it can possibly arrest a tumor growth very aggressive cancers which are spreading like militants you know in the valley <laughs> who are aggressively st- spreading like you know uh, people on a rampage if compassion and love can reach out at that point it can arrest the whole thing but it's not easy because we are not taught this all through we are taught from house from teachers that you know you have to struggle survive fight this is a world where you need to fight out for your rights and so on and so forth so i suppose these are things which we need to develop and inculcate within while we go through our medical schooling i mean this is a very formative period 15 16 17 18 19 20 21 right up to 25 Uh, there is a parallel life which is going on one is on the outside 
as professionals and the other inside as a human being. And I think if we don't develop as a human being and if we develop only in our external being, outer being and the profession or vocation, then, you know, this development, uh, there is no difference between man and a machine. You know, that's why probably Stephen Hawking, who uh, doesn't understand this inner dimension, but is brilliant scientist when it comes to the external dimension, uh, has declared that uh, one day artificial intelligence will take over uh, human beings. Possible. If human beings remain a machine, then it's a machine versus machine. But human beings are not just, you know, intelligence that calculates and reflects, can change itself, modify itself. Human beings are living conscious souls. And I think if we can bring out that dimension through whatever means, whatever processes, that would be wonderful. Finally, a quality which is, you know, is said as the salt of existence. I think it's so important to always keep. And that's good humor. A state of humor. Humor is not about jokes and pranks. Of course, you know, that's a part of life and it should be there. You know, we sh as they say, we should have the fun of life also. But more importantly, the sense of humor. To laugh at oneself. To laugh at life. To laugh at creation. It's like a big cushion behind. And this humor, if we can add in our everyday life, when we are looking at, uh, otherwise it can be very distressing. Sometimes when we look at, uh, you know, oncosurgeons uh, often go into depressions. Uh, psychiatrists, you know, they often develop issues because, you know, they are dealing all the time with abnormal phenomenon. But if we can keep a sense of humor, now this sense of humor comes from a certain kind of levity about life where we, it's not laxity. There is a difference between laxity and levity. Uh, laxity is a, an indulgent way of living a very uh, you know laxity is for those who are tired and exhausted but levity is something which is luminous now levity or light heartedness means while we engage with things seriously we we find a balance between being serious with what we are doing and in inside, we should always remain, maintain a certain calm. You know, not become so serious if things are not going your way. Uh, this is something which patients should also learn and, you know, we can teach it to the patient. Uh, Sometimes we bring in, uh, inject a lot of fear, which is just the opposite of this, um, this state of trust, which brings in goodwill and humor. Uh, and this fear is so harmful. We, you know, again, another book which... I think people should read as young medical graduate is Norman Cousins, uh, Anatomy of an Illness, where how a person who was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, how the person healed himself simply running away from a hospital and, uh, you know, shutting in a room and watching just uh, com comedies and comics. And this simple thing, a state of taking life seriously and yet not so seriously. It's a very fine balance. It's okay. Things may not always happen the way we want. It's okay. But life must move on. If we fall, we get up again. And we laugh at ourselves and start walking. You know, when people fall and people just laugh at it. But those who take the life a bit too seriously, they keep this fall in their heart.
they they take this like you know as if heavens have fallen and that's not a very healthy sign it's it's it speaks of a person's health i mean i have a one line test for one or rather one word test for people when they whether they are healthy or not of course we have too many uh, too many medications too many investigations etc but um, i do believe that there is one one simple test which can indicate whether at least inwardly a person is healthy or not and if the person is inwardly healthy this will sooner or later begin to impress upon his outer being and if the person has to let's say for some reason the body does not recover and there is what we call as the phenomenon of death then too this state of inner health is very important so what is it that indicates you know we have test for all our external things we have all the functions hematogram and hemogram and biochemistry and this profile and renal package and liver functions etc but the test i use is very simple and this test is smile so um, if i see a patient is not smiling i ask him what's gone why aren't you smiling so he may come out with a whole lot of worries which are other than you know uh, his immediate physical concern or he may be concerned with his physical illness and may have stopped smiling because in his own mind he has developed clouds and clouds and clouds of gloom you know it's not healthy so we should teach people to smile when colleagues don't smile i ask them is everything okay and when i don't smile i look inside myself and wonder what's happening you know we have forgotten to smile something so simple as that i'm not even talking of laughing we have forgotten to laugh you know let me end with this small thing um, you know i, I right now i'm living with shurbindo ashram i had 20 years of service with the indian air force as a doctor as a psychiatrist and then i've been throughout the world doing you know lectures and talks and workshops so i came to shurbindo ashram and somebody asked me that well what did you really find there so i said i found many things but one thing i found which is very precious which i see has been lost in this world so i said what is it what is it and i said well i have learned to smile i have learned to laugh i have learned to be happy simply naturally spontaneously so i think on that note uh, we can close um thank you so much we'll meet again i'm sure thank you very much alok bhai it was a, a great uh, uh, experience great learning and uh, i think uh, whatever you have said has touched every one of us something here and there there are some residents also present oh and uh, i it will really it will help me also in taking some of the things whatever that i can in my further conversation with the students thank you but um, i'm very grateful to you and grateful uh, to the divine mother that this could happen there was a lot of difficulty for last couple of days i was trying but somehow i thought we must hold on and try to yes yes we must learn to persevere that's what these are experiences of life <laughs> which help us grow so thank you so much balendu bhai and thanks to everyone and um, my sincere prayers may all of you become wonderful human beings 
wonderful doctors and more than doctors wonderful healers uh, may the grace be with all of us and god bless thank you thank you namaste alok bhai namaste thank namaste. you so much thank yeah. you thank you namaste